nuclear hot seat. What are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat. What have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat. The corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, we look back on 2016 through the only appropriate lens with which to examine the entire spectrum of the nuclear industry, the nuclear hot seat numbnuts of the week. We track the missteps, the lessons not learned, actions both incompetent and evil, by an industry that has the power to destroy life on Earth. What better topic for comedy? All that's missing is the laugh track. Just a few shared thoughts, Misery Loves Company observations about food, radioactive waste, the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, TEPCO, and more, leading up to our prize, Numbnuts of the Year. But before we begin, this disclaimer. If you have an allergy or sensitivity to sarcasm or rant, please check with your doctor and always listen responsibly. All of this coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, December 27, 2016, and here is the Nuclear Hot Seat Year in Review, Numbnuts of the Year. According to the Urban Dictionary, numbnuts is a slang term that is used to depict someone or something that is a constant source of trouble. Usually it's an individual who screws up, constantly makes mistakes, botches a job, an event, or a situation. The nuclear industry is, by its very nature, numbnuts. In covering its actions and agenda every week for over five and a half years, a person meaning me, gets tired of the steady drip, drip, drip of manipulation, cover-up, incompetence, greed, irresponsibility, spin, and other actions more suited to an undereducated, testosterone-poisoned, pimply-faced 15-year-old than an industry with the power to destroy all life on Earth. When I first started producing Nuclear Hot Seat, numbnuts was not a word I had ever used. But as I encountered the bad news of bad nuclear judgments and actions week after week after week, so many of which defy logic and common sense, I squeezed my vocabulary for an appropriate term to describe it all and out popped this word. For me, numbnuts has grown from a slightly embarrassing bit of street slang into an absolute identifier of the tone-deaf, brain-dead nature of the entire nuclear industry. Every story qualifies. And every week, without fail, numerous nuclear stories compete for the dubious honor of being named numbnuts of that particular week. I never lack for candidates. 
So with that in mind, I invite you to review 2016 through the lens of Numbnuts of the Week. We'll start off with something that we all have in common. Food. The nuclear industry shows tremendous blind spots when it comes to helping us understand that radioactive materials released into the environment can and often do end up in various foodstuffs. When we ingest that food, or drink that drink, we run the risk of some radioactive particle remaining within our body, up close and personal with our internal organs, where it can and will eventually destroy tissue and create illness, most notably cancer. But hey, you can't see it, so they'll just slip it by you and me and everybody else, at least while they can. Even if you try to drown your nuclear sorrows, there's no safe bet. This story from Japan is from Nuclear Hot Seat number 248, March 22nd, 2016. Nuclear Hot Seat, Nuclear Hot Seat, Nuclear Hot Seat, none that's out of week. You know, nuclear is such a pain in the gazorkus that sometimes a body just wants to go out and drink too much. Just, if you decide to do so, drink responsibility. And do not drink Fuko wine, a.k.a. recovery wine. It's a sparkling wine. It's a cider. It's a big mistake because it is made entirely from fruit grown across Fukushima Prefecture. You see, it is intended not just to be an alcoholic beverage. It is intended to send a clear message to consumers that the prefecture's produce is safe and dependable. Even if it's not, but we'll never know for sure because nobody's testing the stuff. So it's not just wine, it's propaganda. In case you doubt that, note that this is a project that joined together the Koryama Municipal Government, Koryama being one of the towns in Fukushima Prefecture, and the Mitsubishi Corporation Disaster Relief Foundation. That's right, Mitsubishi, makers of flawed steam generators, the ones that ultimately took down the San Onofre nuclear reactor because they couldn't be trusted to be started. For now, the number of bottles produced is so small that the wine will only be available in Fukushima Prefecture. However, the winery is eyeing future shipments to the Tokyo area and beyond. Mitsubishi Corporation Disaster Relief Foundation Vice Chairman Yasuhito Hirota said, I'd like to see this winery spread its wings and find success worldwide. It is a Japanese philosophy that when it comes to Fukushima, they want to share the pain and spread it around. So they've got bottles of wine where we know there's wine in them, but what else might there be? Ah, I guess they're just not looking. And that's why, to be honest, anybody who drinks this stuff is this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, none that's out of week. Don't worry, we'll cut down on the theme music from this point on. Japan exports a lot of sake, too. If you're not aware, it's illegal in Japan to sell or use any product with more than 100 becquerels of cesium per kilogram. But if you're in the EU... You can have up to 600 becquerels of cesium per kilogram. In Canada, 1,000. And here in the good old U.S. of A, 1,200. That's right, 
food that's anywhere from 6 to 12 times more radioactive than what's allowed to be sold in Japan is perfectly okay around the world without warning labels or even testing. Which is why you may have some Japanese foodstuffs showing up in things you're eating and not even knowing. Maybe you're somewhere in the European Union and want to have some delicious fresh fruit with your breakfast. If so, you might want to reconsider. This is from Nuclear Hot Seat number 285 on December 6th. The Ukrainian region of Polisia, 200 miles east of the Chernobyl nuclear disaster site, has become a boomtown for foragers seeking mushrooms and berries, nearly all of which are contaminated with radiation. Ukraine has become a berry exporter to the European Union, hauling 1,300 tons of fresh berries and over 17,000 tons of frozen berries to the European market in 2015. But of course, there could be some hidden costs. That's because European customers do not know they are ingesting food containing radioactive isotopes, and the berries can be labeled organic since radioactivity is not covered under common organic designations. The locals who are harvesting the berries are showing evidence of higher rates of certain birth defects and diseases. This is very, very bad. And that's why EU officials who do not reveal potential radioactivity contamination in organic berries, you are this week's Nuts of the Week! Every nuclear reactor creates a plentiful supply of radioactive waste in its fuel rods, consisting of plutonium, the most deadly element on the planet, which has a half-life of 24,000 years. That's how long it takes for it to become half as lethal as it is to begin with. You'd think with something that dangerous, we'd have figured out that generating more of it is not a good idea, and the gunk we've already created needs to be treated and stored very carefully to prevent the deadly release, contamination, or recontamination of our environment. And each week's nuclear hot seat is an ode to exactly how little long-range or even short-range planning has gone into what to do about rad waste. Some of the actions have been quite, well, you figure out what you want to call it. From Nuclear Hot Seat 272 of September 26, this kicked the can down the road from the United Kingdom. Roads around Wick Airport in the United Kingdom will be regularly shut over the next 18 months so nuclear waste can be flown to the United States. No word if it will be going first class or coach. Politicians and activists have warned that flying the material is dangerous, but hey, what do they know? Local Member of Parliament Paul Monaghan described the deal to transport the waste by plane as morally reprehensible. So whoever thought this was a good idea, you are this week's Numbness of the Week! This shipping of radioactive reactor waste is a holdover, or hangover, from the 1950s Atoms for Peace program which recognized that nuclear reactors breed weapons-grade plutonium with a byproduct of heat. So let's harness that heat to boil water and create electricity and have the public pay through their utilities for the military-industrial complex's favorite play toy. Rad waste, as it's sometimes called, was considered a resource, not the toxic problem that it is today. And we didn't want anybody else to have our ball, bat, and third base, too. 
So we wrote into the contract for any country that we gave nuclear reactors to that we would get all that mm, yummy plutonium-laced waste back. And so they've sent it. Germany, France, and now the UK have all done it. And aren't we Americans lucky that we have so much of it and no safe way to store it and no knowledge of where to put it? But that doesn't stop the world from continuing to ship it back to us. Japan has followed suit. This from Nuclear Hot Seat number 259 on June 6. That shipment of plutonium from Japan, 331 kilograms of plutonium, arrived Monday, June 6th at the South Carolina-Savannah River site. This despite objections from the state's governor, Nikki Haley, that South Carolina was being used as a storage dump for these kinds of materials. Well, Nikki, that's because Texas, good old boys with business now in Texas, haven't opened their arms to embrace it yet. Along with the plutonium, a shipment of highly enriched uranium has also been transferred to the Y-12 National Security Complex near Oak Ridge, Tennessee. You know, the Fort Knox for uranium that was successfully broken into in 2012 by an 83-year-old peace activist nun and her two companions. Sister Megan Rice got in using bolt cutters to get through the chain-link fence and a Bible for her prayers. Yeah, there's a whole lot of safety going on at Y-12. But back to that plutonium at the Savannah River site. The shipment consists of plutonium that was supplied to Japan in the 1960s and 70s for nuclear reactor research purposes. Governor Haley has a long-standing dispute with the federal government over the long-term storage of nuclear materials. To soothe her fevered brow... U.S. Energy Secretary Ernest Moni Modis told her that six metric tons of plutonium stored at the site would ultimately be permanently stored at, listen to this, at a New Mexico facility that is slated to be up and running later this year. Sounds like we've got something new and efficient and bright and sparkly to store this radioactive waste that's going to be brand spanking new come later this year. But what he's referring to is the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant, the WIP site, which has been down since February 14, Valentine's Day of 2014, because of a little thing known as the explosion of a 55-gallon drum of radioactive waste from the Los Alamos National Lab that then contaminated the entire underground, went up a ventilation stack that did not have the HEPA filters turned on for 33 minutes, and thus spewed plutonium and americium into the air in the local community. Congratulations, Carlsbad. So, Moni Moni's is still flogging that dead horse that Whip is going to be up and running by the end of the year, which it probably will not. He's just trying to save the illusion of his legacy so that when the next person who becomes president kicks him out of office, he'll still at least look good on his resume when he looks for his next position. Which is to say... We don't need no stinking rad waste from any place else on Earth. We've got enough of our own. We can't do anything with it. And that's why 
Whoever authorized this ingathering of Japanese plutonium back to the United States, back to Governor Nikki Haley's state, back to the Savannah Riverside and, heaven help us, the Y-12 National quote-unquote security complex near Oak Ridge, Tennessee, whoever that person is or whoever those people are, you are this week's Num Nuts of the Week. Japan has come up with many handy methods of quote-unquote getting rid of its radioactive waste, especially the materials that became contaminated after Fukushima. This from episode number 263 on July 5th. Japan's Environment Ministry on Tuesday, June 7th, drew up a basic plan to use soil contaminated with radioactive substances from the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster to build roads, part of the country's ongoing campaign to share the pain, meaning contaminate parts of the country that haven't been contaminated already. You know, Japan, I don't care how you jigger the numbers and spin the facts until they become a tissue of lies. This is part of an ongoing genocide you are committing against your own people. You are heinous, and whoever's behind this, it's too little to call you this week's None Nuts of the Week. Just remember, you cannot decontaminate and you cannot dilute radioactive waste. All you end up doing is dispersing it. But in Japan, they believe that they can dispose of it through fire. Here are two Japanese disposal projects for radioactive waste from nuclear hot seat number 245 of March 1st and 280 of November 1st. Tokyo Electric Power Company, TEPCO, has started to incinerate thousands of boxes of radioactively contaminated waste consisting of protective suits, gloves, socks, and other work clothes worn by plant workers that became contaminated with radiation. As of the end of last year, there were over 66,000 one-cubic-meter special boxes. The incinerator can burn a maximum of 14 tons of items per day when it is operated to capacity for 24 hours, which no doubt it will be. However, we've heard nothing about testing for radioactivity released into the air. Apparently none is planned, or if it is, we're not going to hear about it. One listener familiar with the issue wrote, There is an assumption of safety in terms of releases, but what is actually released is very fine particulate matter, absolutely the worst kind of radioactive material, because if it is inhaled, it is the least likely to be expelled from the lungs. If it lodges in the body, it is no longer low-level waste. It is a high level of radiation directed at the small number of surrounding cells, and the likelihood of cancer or harm of any kind is far greater. So what is TEPCO doing about it? The day after the incineration of the protective clothing began, they made the announcement that it's now going to allow the workers not to wear protective clothing at the Fukushima facility, letting them go full Monty, radiologically speaking, of course. It certainly will hold down the amount of radioactive waste that they're going to have to incinerate. So isn't that clever? No. And Japan is turning to a small German company to generate power from timber irradiated by the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear meltdowns. That's right, the lightly irradiated wood, just a mere sous for flavor of radiation. 
will be burned in Fukushima Prefecture to reduce the mass of the wood waste by 99.5%. It shrinks the volume, but not the level of radioactive contamination. In fact, it concentrates that contamination. Company CEO Julian Ulig admits burning won't destroy radiation, but we can shrink detritus to ash and create a lot of clean power at the same time. Yeah, dude, along with soot, ash, smoke, all of which will carry that radiation out further into the environment. Ulig also said, There's a lot of excitement about this project, but I also detect a high degree of reluctance in Fukushima to talk about radiation. That's because the government and the Secrecy Act has all but prevented anybody there from talking about it. And that's why Fukushima Prefecture and Trod Energy System AG and Julian Ulig, you are this week's Nuts of the Week. When it comes to recycling radioactive waste, nobody beats the Japanese. From Nuclear Hot Seat 237 on January 5th. On Tuesday, June 28th, the Chiba Municipal Government filed for Environmental Ministry approval to lift the radioactive designation for waste stored in the city that was contaminated by the Fukushima reactor meltdowns over five years ago. These are the big green trash bags that have already broken open, the contents blown around and dispersed widely into the environment. The request was made after the city found that levels of radioactive materials in the designated waste are lower than the national designation standards of over 8,000 becquerels per kilogram. But no word of what was tested, from where it was taken, how it was tested, how much of it was tested. We just have to take the government's assurances. This applies to 7.7 tons of designated waste in Chiba that is currently stored at a waste disposal center. The lifting of the designation will allow the city to dispose of the waste the same way as general waste. You know, dump it, spew it, use it in building materials to create roads and schools and other buildings where people live. Hey, you know, by the time it starts killing people, no one will be able to figure out where it came from. So the guys doing this will get off the hook. But wait, what about recycling the radioactive waste? finding new and impressive uses for it. Japan has lots of ideas about that. From Nuclear Hot Seat number 237 on January 5th. The one thing you never want to reuse, repurpose, and recycle is radioactive waste. But try telling that to the Environmental Ministry of Japan, which has announced that they plan to reuse contaminated soil in public construction projects. That's right. Share the pain. Just spread that contamination around. Any contaminated materials or soil that has fewer than, are you ready, 8,000 becquerels of radiation per kilogram. The ministry claims that 99.8% of this contaminated soil can be reused, and they plan to start doing so as of April of 2016. I'm sure plenty of it is going to be recycled into the 2020 Radioactive Tokyo No Olympics. The ministry does admit that convincing the public and construction companies to use this soil is a bit of a challenge. But hey, if you're going to commit a crime against humanity, make it a big one. 
Much of the manipulation and stifling of information in Japan regarding the dangers of Fukushima and radioactive waste has had the goal of guaranteeing that in 2020, the world will gleefully send its elite young athletes and radiation-ignorant tourists to participate in the Tokyo Olympics, or the No Olympics, as I sometimes like to call them. Every time an official announcement goes out meant to inspire confidence and attract attention to the 2020 Olympics, it manages to go numbnuts. Like this story about building a stadium for the Games. From Nuclear Hot Seat number 239 on January 19. Kengo Kuma is the designer of Japan's new national stadium that is intended to serve as the main venue for the tattered, boycotted remains of the 2020 Tokyo Summer No Olympics and Para No Olympics. Architect Kuma says he wants to build it with timber from areas hit by the March 2011 East Japan earthquake and tsunami in construction of the venue. Missing from his description was any mention of the area's ongoing bombardment of radiation from the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear reactors with their triple meltdown and missing corium. In an interview with the Manichi Shimbun, Kuma indicated that he would stand by the idea of having the Olympics aid restoration of areas hit by disasters. He says that the Miyagi Prefecture town of Minami-Sanriku is a producer of quality cedar. Well, maybe it was before the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster began, but as early as 2011, extremely high radiation was found in cedar flowers and pollen. In 2012, deformities were found in the cedar trees. And then in 2013... The radiation level of the Japanese cedar leaves were tested and found to be more than 20 times background radiation. Not exactly a great recommendation for using that cedar in any kind of construction, let alone something that's going to be in proximity to the world's premier athletes. Japan's former ambassador to Switzerland, Mitsuhei Murata, was a guest on Nuclear Hot Seat number 234 on December 15 of last year and he has called for Japan to stage an honorable retreat from hosting the Olympics because of the dangers of Fukushima. Japan's not exactly listening to former Ambassador Murata, so it looks like this venue will be built with radioactive cedar as a staging area for the world's greatest athletes who don't mind risking early cancers and the inability to genetically parent healthy, long-lived children. And that's why you, Kengo Kuma, are this week's Num Nuts of the Week. As for buildings that already exist, let's repurpose them back to their initial intended use, without Japan bothering to clean up the mess that's been made by Fukushima. From episode number 281 on November 8th, Tokyo Electric Power Company, TEPCO, has announced its decision to end operations at the J Village Complex in Fukushima Prefecture by this coming March and return it to its original use as the training camp for the Japanese national soccer team. Mm-mm-mm. The J Village facility is only 20 kilometers, about 12 and a half miles, away from the crippled Fukushima Daiichi triple reactor meltdown site and just 7 kilometers 
four and one third miles from the current exclusion zone. TEPCO had used the soccer facility as a makeshift base for tasks from corporate communications to measuring the radiation exposure of employees. Nah, no need for that anymore. <laughs> as if. And TEPCO even built temporary dormitories there so that people could sleep that close to the radiation source. But as company spokesmodel Tatsuhiro Yamagishi said, it's also a boon for soccer players who will use the complex as their training base for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. The site boasts 11 soccer pitches, a 1,200-square-meter gymnasium, a four-lane swimming pool, but no working radiation monitors, the whole-body counters, that were used for monitoring internal radiation exposures in workers. And that's why International Olympic Committee, Tokyo Electric Power Company, and those in charge of the 2020 Tokyo Olympics soccer team, you, each and every one of you, are this week's Week. In Japan's thinking, what better way to attract the young, healthy, elite athletes of the world to Fukushima than by using the area as a base for their most cherished events? Episode number 247 on March 15. Japan's Olympics minister says he hopes Fukushima Prefecture can host preliminary rounds of baseball and softball at the 2020 Tokyo No Olympics Games. Yes, that's right. Let's expose all the international elite athletes, all of them young and currently in excellent health, to untold amounts of radiation in the soil, the dust, the air, the pollen, the food, and the water. As though that announcement wasn't brain-dead and tone-deaf enough, Minister Toshiaki Endo made his comments on Friday, March 11, the fifth anniversary of the magnitude 9.0 earthquake, followed by the tsunami, all of which worked together to destroy three nuclear reactors at Fukushima Daiichi that went into meltdown and started the process of poisoning the earth in a way that's never going to stop. Same countries around the world that care about the health of their elite young athletes are already considering a total boycott of the games, as are any tourists who care about their longevity and the ability of their chromosomes to reproduce unmutated offspring. Meanwhile, other prefectures in the Fukushima region are already set to host games at the Rugby World Cup in 2019 and first-round soccer matches in the 2020 No Olympics. As is said at the end of the movie Bridge on the River Kwai, Madness. Madness. Then there's one of the hot new sporting events planned for 2020 Olympics, made even hotter by its proximity to the deadly remains of the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear reactors. This from episode number 268 on August 9th. Surfs up and reasons down in Fukushima. On July 17, a national surf contest was held in Menomisoma, Fukushima, which is only 30 kilometers or 18 miles away from the three Fukushima Daiichi reactors, which melted down and continue to pour 300,000 tons 
of radioactive water into the Pacific Ocean every day. Under the title Recovery Festival, more than 200 participants gathered from all over Japan to be able to surf in the radioactive waters. Yes, there were categories for kids' competition, with children as young as fourth graders, eight or nine-year-olds, all the way up to old farts of 64. Apparently, the propaganda by Prime Minister Abe Baby's LDP, Labor Democratic Party, has taken hold so much that people of the surfing persuasion have given up on all common sense. Speaking of which, they're not the only ones, because on August 3rd, the International Olympic Committee, which is the group behind the 2020 Tokyo No Olympic Games, has formally voted to include surfing as a gold medal sport. Excuse me, guys. This is crazy. You're going to have elite athletes, surfers from around the world, go into that radioactive water. We know it's radioactive. The plume has already hit in British Columbia. We know that through Fairwinds Energy Education and Maggie Gunderson. But hey, dude, you got to catch the waves. They are awesome. That's actually what the head of the International Surfing Association said. Quote, It is awesome that our incredible athletes will have the opportunity to showcase their talents and skills to the global Olympic audience and compete for their countries. That's two Olympics in a row where you don't want to drink the water or breathe the air. So whether it's the ISA, the surfing organization, the International Olympic Committee, or those beach boys and girls on their surfboards who just want to have a good time in the summer. You are all this week's Nuts of the Week. We'll continue with our Nuclear Nuts of the Year retrospective in a moment. But first, one last wind-up and pitch as we end 2016. And that's that Nuclear Hot Seat could not exist without the ongoing support of you, the listeners, If you value your weekly dose of verifiable nuclear news, in-depth interviews, and as much humor as can be squeezed out of this toxic technology, please help the work continue. Donating is online easy. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com, click on the big red Donate button, and do what you can to show your support. All amounts are accepted, and I'm grateful for them as a show of the way you feel about the show. Consider a small sustaining monthly donation, the same that you'd pay for a cup of Starbucks or its equivalent, plus a good tip. Take me out for a cup of coffee every month like that, and know that I am deeply grateful for whatever you can do to support the show. Here's to 2017 becoming Nuclear Hot Seat's best year ever. And if we do away with nukes, we can do away with the show, which would make it a terrific 2017. Again, just go to NuclearHotSeat.com. And thanks. Now, back to Numbnuts of the Year. The United States may have started this nuclear madness, but that does not mean we have a better handle on its dangers and the waste than any other country. And we can get pretty creative about it, too, when it comes to dealing with our nukes and all their programs. Take this numbnuts of the week about Rocky Flats from episode number 273 on September 13. 
The White House has announced the winners of the 2016 GreenGov Presidential Awards, honoring those who have gone above and beyond to implement innovative sustainability projects within the government. And the Keeping It Clean Award goes to Rocky Flats, the former nuclear weapons production facility and plutonium-contaminated Superfund site near Denver that exposed the local population to a quarter-mile trench of blowing excavated radioactive material while it attempted to patch the ongoing problem. The still-radioactive location is now used as a wildlife preserve, and a new housing development is there for the gullible and the ignorant. The award is for what's described as an innovative groundwater treatment system that runs on batteries and recharges with, wait for it, solar power. Does anyone else see the irony here? The spin is making me dizzy. And that's why whoever attached the White House name to this boondoggle, you are this week's Num Nuts of the Week. Psst! Want to know a creative way to get rid of depleted uranium? The U.S. General Accounting Office has a unique idea. From number 265 on July 19. Undercover inspectors working for the U.S. Government Accountability Office were able to fool the Nuclear Regulatory Commission into granting it licenses to acquire material necessary to build a dirty bomb, a crude yet efficient nuclear device. The GAO established several dummy corporations and did not take steps to make it appear as if these dummy corporations were legitimate businesses. And yet, in one of the three test cases, the NRC granted a license to the fake organization, the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, protecting people and the environment. Not. Radioactive waste, the gift that keeps on giving and giving, and giving. Now, do we need supervision of nuclear reactors to keep them safe, or what? Well, leave it to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to know exactly what they should be doing. Episode number 252 from April 19, cut short by a bit of bronchitis. The top five U.S. nuclear power plants where employees made the most allegations about safety problems from 2012 through 2015 are in number five, Indian Point, number four, Susquehanna in Pennsylvania, three, Browns Ferry in Alabama, number two, Watts Bar in Tennessee, and number one, Millstone in Connecticut. And with all these nuke problems, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission has announced that it will cut its annual budget by $49 million and eliminate 185 full-time positions over the next two years. In case you couldn't guess, that was Numbnuts of the Week. Then there's the nuclear industry's disinformation, misinformation, post-truth, oh, call it what it is, propaganda and lies, delivered by Giddy Stooges. From number 253 on May 10, in a direct affront to the 47-year-old activist group San Luis Obispo Mothers for Peace, which has been fighting against Diablo Canyon's nuclear reactors for all that time, there's a new group that's been formed called Mothers for Nuclear. And who are the mothers? Both just happen to work at Diablo Canyon. Heather Madison and Kristen Zaitz, who have obviously been well-coached in their talking points by members of the nuclear industry, are using motherhood and global warning 
to change the way Californians feel about nuclear power, warning that they must do so before it's too late. Both worry that the seaside plant could soon close if environmentalists and some state officials get their way. They neglect to mention that the area is surrounded by earthquake faults, and if an attempt was made to survey the area and build it these days, it would not pass environmental impact standards because the earthquake faults are so close and are so deep. What makes this so ironic, and I swear I'm not quoting the onion here, is that Kristen Zeitz has a job that involves studying how well the facility and its equipment can withstand earthquakes, which shows that maybe they're not paying attention to the facts. And in some truly twisted logic, Heather Madison says that one of the reasons that they are creating this group is, quote, if it's coming from the utility, it's not quite as credible as if it's coming from two moms. Two moms who happen to work for the utility. I can understand if someone is motivated to fight to save their job. But how about saving lives? Saving the future? And how dare you co-opt the concept of mothers and what they stand for in alignment with life to put yourself in alignment with death as represented by nuclear. While they say the company has not contributed funding to Mothers for Peace, they don't mention whether they've had time off, coaching by PR experts, or had access to maybe some help out of their PR department, which got them this hefty article in the San Francisco Chronicle. And in an unveiled threat at the end of the article, Madison said, if Diablo closes and we both lose our jobs, then maybe we'll go become full-time nuclear activists and make sure this doesn't happen elsewhere. And just who might be funding that particular endeavor if push comes to shove. And that is why Judas Goats, Heather Madison, and Christian Zeitz, you have the honor of becoming this week's None Nuts of the Week! But the fun and games and power trip didn't stop there. The vacation party bus was waiting to pick them up and drive them to Sacramento. Nuclear hot seat number 262 on June 28. Amazing what a billionaire can buy. The pro-nuclear workers at Diablo Canyon have been traveling to that meeting at the California Lands Commission in Sacramento, and they're going in style. Chartered air-conditioned bus, three meals a day provided, entertainment, Brazilian martial arts lessons, morning yoga and calisthenics, swimming, crafts, campfire, sing-alongs, and s'mores. They call themselves a march, but in order to march, you gotta, well, march. But these guys are getting bussed to locations where they then walk for 3.8 miles one day. 2.8 the next, and hey, the last day, two whole miles. Oh, man, what a grind. That's not a march. It's a stroll, trusted from somebody who ran a marathon. They get side trips, lectures, tree climbing, music. Shoot, this is summer camp for adults. Everything fully paid for, including their salaries. No vacation time required. 
Well, who wouldn't want to demonstrate for nuclear under these conditions? And, of course, it all ends with, as they so smarmily listed it on their itinerary, pack the room at the Lands Commission meeting. What really hurts is how these deluded ignoramuses don't even understand what they are doing. A statement on their website shows the extent of their ignorance. It reads, We won't be able to look our future grandchildren in the eyes and tell them that we did all we could to safeguard their future and protect clean energy unless we do. Now that sounds like something that you or I or any one of us would write. Except these people are talking about protecting nuclear. That's their idea of clean energy. And of course, when they talk about grandchildren, they actually expect to have them and that they're healthy. And they do not understand the disproportionate way that women and children, especially girls and fetuses and the reproductive system, is damaged down to the DNA by nuclear radiation from these bombs and tea kettles. While I never want to be able to say to anybody regarding nuclear, I told you so, to these smug tools of the 1%, I think it only appropriate that I wish that they would have a choking fit on their s'mores. And that's why all of you deluded fools who went to summer camp to support the nuclear madness of Diablo Canyon, all of you are this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, none nuts of the week. Yeah, for those nuclear tourists, they were certainly not real activists, it was all a big fun put on. Except their strategy worked. The California Coastal Commission gave Diablo Canyon the permit they needed, and now the well-funded well-trained, as in dog collars, and industry-coached pro-nukers have until 2025, if Diablo Canyon's nukes last that long, to turn it all around and get Pacific Gas and Electric's earthquake-adjacent nuclear reactor's license extended for another 20 years. Oi. Meanwhile, speaking on wrong-headed propaganda and its flex, we'll always have James Hansen, here from Nuclear Hot Seat number 279 on October 25th. Dr. James Hansen, a pro-nuclear shill who calls himself a climate scientist, has recently spewed out a statement linking anti-nuclear groups with fossil fuel companies and tarring them with the same brush. When he calls anti-nuclear groups, quote, enemies of young people, nature, and all the species of creation. One initially thinks the man is out of his mind. But if you're familiar with Nazi-era propaganda tools as practiced by Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi minister of propaganda, you'll recognize the strategy in an instant. And that is, accuse the other side of that which you are guilty so when he refers to nuclear reactors as, quote, the largest source of clean, put that in quotes, clean electricity, and refers to anti-nuclear groups as fringe groups, and urges officials in New York, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, and federal courts to reject the pleas of those anti-nuclear fringe groups, and move forward with plans to 
I gagged to say this, protect the environment for our grandchildren and clean air for all of us today, meaning with nukes, and warns that fear-mongering by decrepit, decrepit, we still move just fine, thank you, but he says decrepit anti-nuclear groups must not be allowed to determine our planet's future. Do you see what he just did there? He took all of the things that we rightfully call and label and name as the actions of the nuclear industry and throws them around on us. Again, the quote from Joseph Goebbels, accuse the other side of that which you are guilty. And here's the other piece to keep in mind. Goebbels also said, If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. Which is how the atrocious lie that nuclear is anything other than the most toxic form of energy ever generated on this planet and that it is no way clean, green, or sustainable. Well, the waste is sustainable, but the energy certainly is not. And the waste is around for hundreds of thousands of years by the nuclear echo chamber going green, 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 green. It became a big enough lie that people, even legislators who deserve to know better and be smarter and more aware, have fallen for it. And that's why, James Hansen, you heinous piece of something that I cannot mention on a show that's going to be broadcast. You are definitely this week's Numb Nuts of the Week. Episode number 264 on July 12th featured a Numb Nuts of the Week on the three worst nuclear reactors in the country and the response of the management of those three reactors to safety demands. Well, when safety is the issue, you can always count on the nuclear industry to be short-sighted, if not dead wrong. Three examples. Last January, a broken water hose at the Oyster Creek Nuclear Power Plant in New Jersey, only 85 miles from Manhattan, was discovered to have been about a decade older than it should have been, and that's what caused it to fail. The three-inch hose pumps water from a storage tank to cool down the plant's emergency diesel generators. The NRC reports, We found that Exelon did not have appropriate work instructions to replace the emergency diesel generation cooling flexible coupling hoses every 12 years, as specified by the company's procedures and vending information. As a result, the hose was in service for approximately 22 years and subject to thermal degradation and aging that eventually led to its failure. The Exelon-owned plant is the oldest nuclear facility in the country and will be 50 years old when the company plans to close it in 2019. I vote for an early retirement for that creaky nuclear senior citizen to put it out of its misery. Number two, electrical relays at Massachusetts Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station, relied on to shut safety valves in the reactor building should an accident occur, had long exceeded their shelf life when checked by federal inspectors last week. They found that the relays were 22 years old, and according to the product vendors, those relays are supposed to be switched out every 10 years. So what happened? 
12 years ago, was there this secret meeting between Entergy on this part and Exelon on the other to decide that no maintenance was required on their facilities and they could just ignore it? Think of it as a car. No matter how expensive the model is that you're driving, it's going to need new hoses. It's going to need new valves. You got to do the maintenance on a regular basis. But hey, this is nuclear. Why should they be bothered about it? Number three, as of July 8th, Entergy Nuclear's Palisades Atomic Reactor in Michigan had several security workers placed on administrative leave. The reason? Fire inspection anomalies. What the heck does that mean? And that's the very question being asked by Kevin Camps of Beyond Nuclear. He's quoted as saying, did security guards pretend to make their rounds and not really do it and just fill out the paperwork like they had? He went on to say, if they're willing to play loose and fast and take shortcuts on that big of a risk of fire at Palisades, we're in real peril downwind. By the way, downwind includes Chicago, which is just across Lake Michigan. And that's why Entergy and Exelon it's a split decision, so you both get to be this week's Nuts of the Week. And here's a footnote to history. As we've since learned from an accidentally leaked Nuclear Regulatory Commission email and the resulting headline news, the Pilgrim Nuclear Power Plant is in even worse shape than was suspected. To quote the NRC Region 1 head who is in charge of the examination of the plant, we are observing current indications of a safety culture problem that a bunch of talking probably won't fix. Preliminary findings from the inspection show recurring problems and staffing issues that caused the NRC to label Entergy's Pilgrim facility overwhelmed. Hmm. What's the next step? What to do? What to do? And anything less than a full immediate and permanent shutdown of Pilgrim would be numbnuts indeed. And now, the moment you've been waiting for. Nuclear Hot Seat, Numbnuts of the Year! So many choices. And up to a week ago, I thought that I had this one in the bag by giving it for the second year in a row to the entire nuclear industry. Except less than one week ago, a man who did not win the popular vote for president in America and who will not be residing in the White House because that's too déclassé for him, not enough guilt, launched the tweet that may launch a thousand nuclear missiles in the not-so-distant future. Yes, I'm talking about that guy, Donald Trump. In the tweet heard round the world, he blatted out, The United States must greatly strengthen and expand its nuclear capability until such time as the world comes to its senses regarding nukes. At the near-universal response he received of, Don't touch it! It's evil! which included messages from everyone from Vladimir Putin to Noam Chomsky. Two days later, Trump then spoke off the air to MSNBC TV host Mika Brzezinski, who said that Trump told her, quote, Let it be an arms race. We will outmatch them at every pass and outlast them all. 
Dude! Dude! This is not simply an adolescent boy's circle game of my bang's bigger than your bang. Do not confuse arms race with arm wrestling. They are two entirely different things. One is a genuine measure of personal physical brute force, and the other is a path to planetary annihilation. Yes, yes, we all know that you're a bully, and you relish the bully pulpit you've claimed, but while nukes are the ultimate bully club, no one wins a nuclear arms race. It's not a competition. They don't give you medals for whoever strikes first or strikes last. And much of the world has come to its senses regarding nukes. They're against them. You know why? It's simple geology. The earth is a rock in the middle of a bubble in the middle of nowhere. What happens on earth stays on earth. And especially when it comes to nuclear bombs, what happens in one place to one people happens everywhere to all people. That's because the debris and smoke thrown into the atmosphere by a nuclear explosion blocks out the sun and creates nuclear winter. And despite what you may think, nuclear winter is not the cure for global warming. So, Donnie, step back from the bravado and the braggadocio for just a moment, or you risk being numbnuts of all eternity. Now, if you really want to have that arm-wrestling match with Satan in the hopes of taking his place as the biggest, baddest dude of all time, take whatever steps prove necessary to get yourself over to the other side, sooner rather than later, but do it by yourself. And then get on with it as a personal grudge match, you and the devil, mano a mano. But please, do not take the planet and all life with you. The fact that you might is why you, Donald John Trump, have come up from behind in the last possible moment to snatch, you should pardon the expression, the Nuclear Hot Seat Numbnuts of the Year Award. Hair trigger temper, wounded ego, psychopathic lack of empathy, nasty retaliatory spirit, combined with instantaneous access to nuclear launch codes and no modifying influence to slow him down. What could go wrong? Well, if I'm still here a year from now, we'll go over it again. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, December 27, 2016. Theme music written by me, sung by Marilee Weber, Musical accompaniment by John Barnard, recorded at Winslow Court Studio in Hollywood. If you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. We are copyright 2016, Libby Halevi and Heartistry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed, as long as proper attribution is provided. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you to be safe, stay well, keep listening, because information is power and we need our power. So don't go back to sleep, because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. 
nuclear hot seat. What are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat. What have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat. The corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb.